Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. What's up? This is T.O. Tune in to the next episode of the Behind the Mask podcast with my guys, Spikes and Two. Hey, we about to chop it up. We talking track, we talking game speed, we talking wine, football, Hall of Fame. We talking agents, financial advisors, what to look for, what not to look for, financial literacy. We got it all coming to you right now. Tune in, Behind the Mad Podcast, with my guys, Spikes and Two. Let's go behind the mask. Coming to the stage is our first sponsor, Bet Online, the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action. NBA is in full swing and college basketball heats up as the schools make their way to the madness. The tournament is coming. And so is the $100,000 Bracket Madness Contest, as BetOnline is the spot to be for all of your bracketology needs. BetOnline has you covered for all of the news, scores, odds, all of that good stuff. It's the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. So head to the website, betonline.ag, or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 50% Welcome bonus on your first deposit. Bet online, your online sports book experts. What's happening? Man, I appreciate you guys stopping by for the season three banger episode. Yes, I am your host, Takeo Spikes from the Behind the Mask podcast. And I got to bring in my player partner to where you at, homie. Yo, what's good, my good people? This year, you know what? This season is your favorite big and tall model, two-tone Reyes, in the building. What up, Spice? What's good, baby? Season three, let's get it. Season three, let's get it, man. Like, we've been hyping this thing up, bro. It's been two weeks. Listen, we finally got our guest, man. But before we bring our guest in, man, this cat right here is very unique, too. Yeah. He's very unique, has an extensive palate when it comes to to wine, but we will get into that later. Man, I want to welcome, I want everybody to know we got to bring in this five-time all-pro, six-time pro bowler, all decade team, and hell, you might as well throw him in the pro football hall of fame. Give it up for my dog, formerly known as Terrell Owens. Now he's going by Terrell Owens. Hey, man, don't let my mama call you and get on you, boy. <laughs> hey, you know we hey she hey she been dealing with this for some years now it's terrible i don't know why the media just want to just 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 get all away from their uh their ethics and everything that they're supposed to be journalistic and not correct the pronunciation the pronunciation of my name but yeah for years since i've been born december the 7th 1973 it's mm-hmm. been terrible owens let them know let them know yeah, no my name, my name is Tutankhamun. Connor, my full name. So you know, I got a little harder than you, bro. <laughs> oh my gosh! What? Keep touch, man. Keep touch. Now, but one thing we do have in common, though, which you don't have in common, the tall size model, or big and plus, whatever you want to call all it, that, baby. You just got to remember this: all kings are born in the month uh, of December. Shout out to that December babies on here, baby. You already okay. know. I give y'all some love today. It's all good. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. I love it. AT, man, like, 
you know, I we go way back, but like your story is very unique. It's unique in a lot of ways. And for when people look at you now and they hear you speak now and they hear the introduction, the Pro Football Hall of Famer, they have a hard time believing this guy was a late bloomer and football wasn't even his first love. So I like for me, I don't get it because I love the game, but would love for you to expound on that part and just tell us what was the turning point. Uh, man, just uh, growing up in Alabama, uh, Alexander City, small town, probably 16,000, 17,000 people. Um, again, man, I, I always had a love and affection for basketball. That's always been sort of like my dream. I was just like any kid growing up in the 80s and 90s. You know, uh, our basketball hero was Michael Jordan, uh, just as, as it is now for a lot of kids and for a lot of kids and a lot of the, the, the new newer generation that haven't watched them. Um, they've been able to go back in history, Google um, and research and, and see, you know, kind of what we saw and, and who was our inspiration. And so that was always my love and my passion. I played a number of sports as a, as a, as a little kid. You know, I played baseball, you know, in, in, in junior high and high school. I ran track, you know, played basketball. Um, I didn't really get into football until probably like my junior year. And I wouldn't even really say that I played football my junior year, not not junior year, but my junior high school years, excuse me. Um, but junior high years, I was just on the team. Um, man, I was skinny. I was scrawny. Um, I'll have to show you the pictures. Maybe even I maybe even even send you some pictures so you can show it on the network of what I looked like just as a freshman in high school. I wore the number 88. I had no idea uh, really kind of what I was going to become, what I was going to do. Uh, I think I was playing the position of either receiver or tight end. Um, so I was just really just trying to familiarize myself with the game of football. Um, just like, you know, we all do in the South. Uh, you play football in the streets, uh, play it in the backyard. You play, throw it up, get tackled, all those things. So um, that that was kind of like, you know, uh, what it was like for me, you know, growing up as a little kid. And so you fast forward to where I'm where I am now being a Hall of Famer. That was something that I never thought in a million years. I, I didn't even know anything about the Hall of Fame, um, not until probably like my my years, uh, a few years into uh, the professional level of playing, you know, being drafted with the Niners. So that was never really uh, anything that I had my sights on. Um, I've been able to really just take advantage of the opportunities that were given me. And you'll start there. We'll start there just coming out of high school. I played I played at Benjamin Russell High School. As I said, I played all the sports. And I was recruited on the heels of someone else, uh, another receiver um, that they were recruiting. And we ultimately ended up going to University of Tennessee at Chattanooga. Um, and that's where, again, things kind of just started to unfold for me. I didn't even really play, play as a And I said, I, I mean, having a love for, for, for basketball, the passion for it, I ended up walking on and playing on the basketball team my sophomore year and ended up playing three years there as well. Man. Oh, so you 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 played basketball in college too? I didn't even know that. Hey, hey, just stay tuned, man. It's gonna be a lot. You know, <laughs> we on. Hey, hey, we behind. I'm coming from behind the mask, so you can really know what it is. Right. Uh, hey, I'm. I'm I, honestly, I'm. I'm honored. Number one, just to be on the show. I appreciate you guys. Me and Spikes, we go way back. Um, obviously, he went to a he went to a college right there in my backyard, Auburn. Um, I didn't really I didn't really mess with Auburn like that. 
<laughs> you know, growing up in high school, you know, we had the rivalry weeks or what have you. We had the Auburn Alabama day. So I've always had that love and affection, affection for, uh, for, for the, for the Crimson Tide. So really, honestly, my oh, man, I, there you go. You had I know I'm cussing you out right now. I know I'm cussing you out. Right <laughs> Goodness gracious! It pains me to see you. You up in the suite. What up, Saint? Come in here, bro. I get it. Hey, guess what? It pained me too not to go to one of these established universities that were right there in my backyard, Auburn. In the University of Alabama, like I, I mean, people ask now, like, how did, how did I, how did I slip from under the nose of yeah. these two, two, these two well-established uh, universities? And the thing is, I, I honestly, I tell them, I like, I just wasn't that good. I wasn't that good coming out of high school. So, I mean, I'm a realist. You know how I am, um, uh, Spikes. I'm a realist. I'm gonna tell you how it is, and, and even with you know, giving information as far as my upbringing and. And really kind of my past to where I've gotten, I try to be open. I try to be forthcoming. I try to be transparent. And then I realize really what the what what the National Football League has afforded me to do. Um, and that's really, honestly, the, the, the roadmap to my success. I can be able to, I'm able to do that and prevent, not prevent, but provide an avenue or a blueprint for these kids that may not have really a, a direction of where to go and how to get there. So when you think about me and how, I got to be a Hall of Famer. It, it's it's three words and it's three Ds. That's desire, dedication, and discipline. That's how I am able to be the Hall of Famer that I am sitting here today. And so I I, I appreciate obviously the the opportunity to be on this show uh, behind the mask to kind of share kind of really my upbringing and anything else that may come up. Um, I'm all here for your for for your uh, disposal. Um, I've just been a long time waiting. I'm I'm eager and. And really just just happy just to be a part of uh what you're doing. You know it's dope, man, too. Also, you, you talked about basketball. I remember when I first met you, you probably don't remember this, but Deion Grant had brought me to your crib because you used to have a celebrity weekends mm. with the mm. celebrity basketball tournaments back at Decatur. And we would see this cat, you know, say everybody knew how dope T.O. was in the league, thousand yard receivers with the 49ers, but you would be out there 360 dunks, you know, fadeaway jump shots, and we like, we know cats could play ball in the league. Some, you know, some athletes. Right. But you was like on another level, man. And speaking of that and that motivation, I see you got the Mamba mentality back right. there behind you. Yeah. What does that mean to you? And how was Kobe? Talk about your relationship with Kobe, man. Well, the thing is, obviously, it's coined. Uh, you know, uh, Kobe is one that you know created this Mamba mentality. Um, I just don't think under like I wasn't as I guess cerebral of an athlete as Kobe was. And you think about and you watch and you read, you know where he came from, how he was raised, um, really the fabric, the DNA of who he became. Um, it was really uh, through his parents, his dad, um, you know, and he wanted to be the best basketball player that he could be. And then you have Michael Jordan, who basically set the stage, set the standard, uh, really set the blueprint uh, of who he was and who we saw. When you think about Kobe, Kobe being Bryant, I mean, that was the closest when he was alive. That was the closest living clone that we could ever see uh, to Michael Jordan. Um, I know there's so many debates about who's the greatest, Michael Jordan, LeBron James or Kobe. Um, for me, it's Michael, then it's Kobe, then it's LeBron and whomever else. Um, you just can't leapfrog over Kobe Bryant when you've this guy has five championships. This guy has done it has done it all. He's done it with some of the greats and without some of the greats. He did it. It was a challenge for him to win a championship without Shaq. 
that that for me solidified what he brought to that team. That's the leadership. And he did it. Like I said, he didn't have to go to a super team. He didn't vacate you know, the Los Angeles era, uh, area to, 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 to team up with some guys to win his championships. He did it for 20 years, uh, five times uh, with the Los Angeles Lakers. So when it came to me and Kobe, when I met Kobe, um, it was my third year in the league um, in 1999. I went down to the, I went down to L.A. with uh, with Merton Hanks. I think he took me to a, a, a playoff game and they were playing the uh, Seattle Super Sonics. And I got to meet Kobe after the game. That's when that was Kobe with the fro, number eight Kobe. Kobe. And so uh, that was when, like I said, I fell in love with who he was. Uh, we both came into the league um, at the same time in 1996. And so for me, man, I've watched him from afar. Uh, I mentioned I mentioned uh, Kobe in my Hall of Fame speech that I gave in UT Chattanooga. And Kobe Bryant, thanks for showing me what passion and love for your craft looks like. I admired you from afar. You set the standard for hard work and dedication, and it was amazing to watch. Um, when I uh, again, obviously, I didn't go to uh, Canton, so uh, Kobe has meant a lot, you know, for me. Uh, just from an inspiration standpoint, when you talk about Mamba mentality, um, again, that's, I mean, you look at some of the, some of his quotes, um, again, you have to embrace the hate. You have to embrace uh, the naysayers. You have to have a relentless pursuit of what you want uh, out of, out of life, out of your career. And that's what he did. And so for me, that's what I started to do as well. I always had that confidence in myself, even, even in high school, when coaches didn't assess my talent to be worthy enough to be on the football field at that time, um, even when I went to college and the coach didn't really play play me as a freshman because I wasn't a four or five star athlete, you know, uh, being recruited. So right. I always had that confidence in myself that I could be out there and making the same plays or doing some of the great same great things that my peers uh, were doing and that I witnessed on an everyday basis, but I wasn't given that opportunity yet. So that only drove me and it motivated me. Even from high school, um, I had a strong dissatisfaction of being mediocre, um, seeing my teammates that were on the field starting, um, you know, everybody coming to, to, the, to the stadium on Friday night. I'm standing, I'm standing on that sideline. You smelling the hamburgers. Uh, you know the Cokes, the, the, the popcorn, <laughs> uh, the cotton candy. Bro, oh, I cool. sat on that sideline, bro, and had to endure all of that and not get on the field. Well, so how much of that was, was it the lack of not having a good coach, not recognizing it, or just that you really haven't hadn't at that time developed into what you were supposed to be? No, yeah, I, as I, as we've spoken about it and uh, before, I was a, I was truly a late bloomer, and I try to you know obviously like I said, there are a lot of kids like myself. Uh, your body may not have matured um, you know, to the point or the degree uh, that you're just as fast or big or strong as the, your peers around you. Um, but I, you just got to keep you just got to keep at it. Um, one of the things that I really stuck stuck with me throughout throughout my my high school uh, career was um, after one of the seasons that we had. Uh, I think I may have been a freshman or a sophomore or a sophomore going to to be a junior. Um, but after the season, you know, you have those those uh, those meetings, those group meetings before, you know, you go off and do your own thing. You know, coaches basically said, yeah, the freshmen and the sophomores that are obviously they're they're progressing, they're promoting. You're going to be ready for the next season. He was like, yo, if you want to be a better athlete than you are right now, he said, this is where it starts. And we were sitting in the weight room. And that basically hit home for me because I knew I was undersized. I didn't have the muscles. I didn't look 
the way that I look now, I didn't look like that in high school. So I knew that in order for me to get on par, to, to, to even give myself an opportunity to compete, I had to get bigger, faster, and stronger. And that's what I did, that's what I did at any and all costs. Um, if there was any time available, uh, we had enrichment periods during the course of our uh, the school year or the school day. Um, there was 30, 45 minutes where we could, you know, obviously uh, take a pass. We could, you know, obviously study or what have you. I used those 30, 45 minutes to go down to the weight room. And my coach, Savarese, he basically used me as a story, used my story to teach his other kids about how I became, you know, the, the athlete that I did. Because I had, like I said, I had that drive. I had that motivation. He said any time that he heard anything, he would walk down the hall. And he know that nobody was supposed to be in the weight room. But if he saw or he heard anything moving around, clanking around in that weight room, he automatically knew who it was. And it was me because I knew that I needed to get on par with the rest of my teammates. And that weight room was what, what started it all. So when you had that, that desire, you spoke of that, bro. And a lot of people don't have that, that desire to make sure, I'd, even though they're telling me to do three sets of 10, I'm not just going to do that. I might do four sets of 12 and make sure I add on some more. But that desire you have, you obviously, is taking you out of the game and into the entrepreneurial world. And so I thought you might get a kick out of this because this is my desire on the weekends, my friend. <laughs> this is a bottle of 81. You signed it for me, sent it over here to me. 81 wines. Two, I gave two his bottle, too. See, he's uh, over there toasted up. He, you know, he got it in the cognac. Hey, right? that's what. Hey, and if y'all can't see for the for the people out there, y'all see what I got on. What this is my wine. This is my wine drinking hoodie. This is the first time I've ever, I've ever drank on a on a podcast of that <laughs> sort. But I knew I had to do this for my for a special guy and you two guys behind the mask. So I knew that I had to come from behind the mask and really be right. who I am today. And show some love because you guys have shown me some love with the support of my new 81, uh, 81 wine. Uh, it's a new venture that I've collaborated with, uh, with the late Mr. Tommy Lasorda. Uh, this obviously this 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 uh, this partnership came about throughout the uh, throughout the pandemic. Um, obviously, uh, there's a lot been a lot of downtime. Everybody's trying to figure out, OK, what's the next move? Um, even establishing uh, of my podcast, just as you guys uh, have done. And so this basically this partnership with the wine cave came organically through uh, through through some mutual friends of my uh, my uh, my marketing rep in my uh, call Max Management. And so they asked me if I drank wine. And, you know, my first experience in 96 with wine being in California Valley, you know how it is. Uh, Spikes, you've been out there. You know what it's uh, you know what that, that's kind of like wine country out there. So my first experience, it didn't go so well because. You know, me coming from the South, I had never really been out of been out of, outside of Alabama, and so I go to Tennessee, and then I go all the way across the across the world to California, uh, to the left coast over there, um, and then you know I get you know go to these events, charity events. I'm being offered white or red. I had no idea what to choose. One of so my how you played it off, bro? <laughs> me, me all day, bro. Hey, one of my teammates, William Floyd, kind of took me under his wing, and so. Uh, the waiter came by. He goes, what would you like, sir, white or red? And I'm looking at William. I'm like, yo. He said, just go with the red. So I, I tried the red. Man, I, I almost wanted to spit it out. It was so dry. It felt like I was drinking cotton. 
It was so dry. It was so pasty. I was like, man, I'm like, it was the worst that I've had, obviously. Like I said, and, and I don't really drink anyway. So that really deterred me from really drinking wines and things of that nature. But over the last, you know, 10 plus years, obviously I've, I've uh, kind of, you know, tried to develop my palate, especially with wine the last two to three years. Um, I actually, I went to Milan in 2006 and that's where I had my first taste of, of like, a, uh, like a white wine, a white wine. It was a, a Moscato. It was called this, uh, Mos Moscato Diasti, uh, Diasti Moscato, Moscato Diasti, one of them. And when I tell you it was the most delicious white wine I had ever tasted, I didn't, I, I was like, I would never drink any more red wine, but I developed a palate for red wine. So for, for, for the people that are listening and I know, I, I know, uh, Spikes Tour. I know you guys have kind of uh, checked it out. And so for me, this is something that I really gravitated towards. They asked me kind of like what I liked and I disliked about the red wines because I started to think, and we've all thought this way post-career, you got to start thinking entrepreneurial. You want to try to create, uh, you know, different revenue streams or what have you. And you got to create opportunities that are in your wheelhouse. And so for me, I thought, okay, this is a great opportunity. I'm partnering with, you know, a Hall of Fame uh, manager and Mr. Tommy Lasorda. Uh, he basically, before he passed, he basically gave them the blessings. I was one of the guys on their list to, to collaborate with. And so they asked me, uh, what did I like? You know, I disliked about wines. What kind of fruits did I like? You know, what didn't I like about the, the taste? And so I basically gave him all that information. And this is how we came up with my wine 81. And so when you think about, I know you guys have tasted it. I know I have. And, and the feedback has been nothing but spectacular. And um, you know what I called and hit you and told you? I was like, bro, this wine is amazing. And immediately before I even like did anything, I noticed on the label, the label was very unique. Man. It made with like football leather. That's what it looks like. The texture. Yeah. Absolutely. Man, I yeah. was very instrumental in every aspect of this. Like I said, as far as, like I said, I didn't go out there and smash the grapes and, you know, stomp them with my feet or anything <laughs> like that. But when you talk about wines and you think about really the character, the three characteristics of a, of a Cabernet Sauvignon, it's, it's three words. It's big, it's bold, and it's dry. You know, and so when you talk about those characteristics, I possess two of those big and bold, not the dry part. But when you talk about the aesthetics of the bottle, that's uh, what you mentioned, uh, the texture, the label. Um, I was very instrumental in all. And as I was alluding to, when you talk, when I, uh, as far as the tasting notes uh, about the fruits and things of that nature, I gave them my feedback of what I liked, what I didn't like. Um, when you talk about tannins, which is a, more your dry, dry wines. I didn't want to be I didn't want that to, uh, to, to really represent something that I wanted in on the market. I wanted something that was smooth, something that was to my liking. And so that's why and how we've come up with my Cabernet uh, Sauvignon uh, 81. And so when you think about uh, just the tasting notes, the contents of this wine, it's a ripe black cherry uh, with cinnamon stick aromas. Um, obviously, when you talk about a palate. If you have a, a palate of, uh, for, for plum preserves. This is your wine. Uh, a little hint of dark chocolate and spicy toasted oat. This is what you get with 81. And so for everyone that's out there watching, I know you're going to plug it yourself, but you want to get this and try it. Uh, go to my website, uh, 81vino.com. Even with the website, I was very instrumental and very strategic um, with, the, with the name of 81 Vino. I know you see Kobe mama mentality in the back. 
uh, Kobe, uh, I would say we were good friends. Um, I did a little research. Kobe liked wine. He even had a collection of his shoes at one point called the Vino Collection. So that the 81 Vino is somewhat of a nod to, to Kobe as well. So when you talk about creativity, it doesn't just it, – it extends beyond the football field. It, 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 it extends beyond the end zone, you two guys. So this is where I am right now with 81 Vino. Oh, man, dope, man. And you talk about it being bold. Everybody that knows T.O. knows T.O. was bold. You know what I'm saying? Tequila and I, we talked about this on the previous episode of Celebrity Crushes. He had a celebrity crush. Remember Lark Voorhees from uh, Saved by the Bell? Oh, Lisa Turner. yes. Hey, that was was man. <laughs> he was gone. Spikes? Yeah. That was, that was Spikes. Mine was Alicia Keys. Neither one of us was bold enough to shoot our shot. But you recently put out, bro. You said you like the wine and dine, Miss Olivia Munn. So we want to know, man, you know, you're going to shoot your shot. You're going to be bold. You're going to be the T.O. that we know. What's going on with that, man? Well, you don't, know, don't honestly, we're like, hey, going hey, behind the mask, bro. Ain't no rules. Hey, the word hey, the word is obviously is circulating. The word is out there. I don't really know her. I don't know her status at this given time and moment. Um, but honestly, like, yeah, if she's single, then, yeah, I'm single. Yeah, I would definitely like the opportunity to you know, 81 wine and dying her. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, but again, like I said, I don't know. I don't really know her taste. I don't really know what she likes or what have you. Um, all I know is like, yeah, from a physical, uh, you know, standpoint, uh, I like, I, I like what she looks like. I like, you know, when you, when, 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 when uh, you talk about the celebrity crushes, it's just something about her. It's just something about it. Just like for, for Spikes, it was something about Lark Voorhees that you know <laughs> yes, that, that 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 made him possibly want to shoot his shot. I mean, maybe well, he shot it, maybe he didn't. Maybe it's a little <laughs> too late. Uh, but like I said, I don't know what her situation is right now. But yeah, given the fact that if we're both single and she's open to it, of course I would love to uh, you know have an opportunity to to yeah you know shoot my shot wine and diner. Hey, well, what was that? Um... What was that moment for? What was that moment for you, to when you really knew, like, damn, you know what? She really got my attention now. Were you drinking some of that eighty-one vino at the time? <laughs> hey, man, let me tell you something. Sometimes people take a few drinks. You know, they're with someone, and the more they drink, the better they look. Um, you know, <laughs> she already has that look before I even take has even taken a sip. So you know, I don't, I don't, I didn't, That's that's a telltale sign right there. But no, it's just something about her look. Um, you know, it's, it's the physical attraction to the aesthetics of, of an individual. Um, and again, like I said, who knows? Aesthetically, she looks she looks amazing, you know, but like I said, it also has to boil down to like the chemistry, the energy and the vibe of an individual as well. So, you know, like I said, we may not be we, we may not mesh. But but right now, like I said, I am open to seeing if that is the case. Hey, and, uh, you know, so no, that's good stuff. Good stuff, dog, because I. I can tell when something really moves you internally, and that definitely moves you. So I, 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 I feel you. I feel you. Go to yeah, you go to <laughs> oh, oh snap! Oh my God! Now you're reading body language. Now you're everything. He said right. you know when something is that's moved me internally. Hey, he getting hot over there, Spikes. He getting hot over there in the hoodie. He got to wipe off this hoodie, boy. For the ladies, you about to make me come up out of this thing. <laughs> one time for the one time. <laughs> hey, but now, nah, though, bro, like, um, 
it's always good to catch up when we talking about all the other little stuff. But like, I want to let's transfer this conversation over to the football field. Right. And we always like to chop it up. One of the coaches that you and I both had in our head in our tenure while we played, I thought he was one of the best head coaches that I've ever played for. And that was Andy Reid. You speak very highly of Andy. And a lot of people hated to see you leave when you went to Dallas because of they knew Andy Reid's system and his philosophy. So when you look at it, imagine this. Have you ever thought about if I would have spent the rest of my years with Andy Reid, like the result would have been dot, dot, dot? Well, you know, had I had a a coach number one like Andy Reid, and then you think about – really kind of the quarterbacks, the quality of quarterback that he's coached. Um, he's coached a number of them, and, and I've played with a number of them. And I think when you when you factor in, you know, kind of guys, you know, uh, like Andy Reid, uh, when you try to cement or establish, you know, uh, their place in history, um, I, 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 I tend to think back on just the first, I guess, nomination when I was up for, for the Hall of Fame. Um, and kind of like where my stats were at that time. And I also think about, okay, what if I would have had a legitimate quarterback, you know, quarterbacks for nine, 10 years, uh, the same guy. You think about Marvin Harrison, who had Peyton Manning for a number of years, Reggie Wayne. Uh, you think about Jerry Rice, uh, who really had no drop-off in the caliber of quarterbacks that he played with. Um, he played with Joe Montana, and then he played with another Hall of Famer, uh, with Steve Young and Steve Young. Um, but when you talk about head coaches, um, when I was in when I was in San Francisco, I played with what two or three head coaches um, during my time there. I think Dennis Green, uh, obviously uh, George Seifert, Steve Mariucci, and so um, when you think about it that way, and, and the number of quarterbacks that I played with, um, the head coaches sometimes, like I said, they can steer your career. Uh, they can sometimes make or break your career. Um, but I was so strong-willed and really confident in myself and, and what I brought to the table um, that I didn't allow any of those little things to fester and really deter or get me off track. But when you talk about Andy Reid, that was the first time in my nine years, uh, that was my ninth year going to to the Philadelphia Eagles, um, that I was able really to to be able to unleash the, the skill set and the talents that I knew that I had um, that I felt were very limited um, in San Francisco. Uh, and I say that. And so when I, and when I explain that, you know, when I explain this next point, people's like, Oh, well, you're throwing this guy under the bus or you're talking bad about a guy. It's not, I'm just speaking the truth. When you talk about the caliber of quarterbacks that I played with, obviously Steve Young and is, is in his class. Um, but you think about where Jeff Garcia was compared to Steve Young. Nobody would say that those two are on the same level. Um, but I had to adjust my game just as we as an offense, as a team, we had to adjust our game to uh, the skill set of Jeff Garcia. Um, it was a bit different from from any prototypical type of quarterback. He's not your drop back t- uh, typical prototype quarterback that's going to, you know, obviously go through his progressions, uh, precision timing, throw the ball 50, 60, 70 yards down the field. That wasn't our offense. And so, Prior to him, we had that with we had that with with Steve Young, and now I'm playing with uh, the Philadelphia Eagles. I have a quarterback that's you know known for being a strong arm quarterback in Donovan McNabb. Um, obviously, a, a guy that is capable of throwing uh, every route. Um, 
in the route tree. And so when I was able to go over there and be able to just run and just really unleash and, and everybody saw the speed that they, they kind of got glimpses of in San Francisco, that's what I always wanted when I was in San Francisco. But we just personnel-wise, from a quarterback standpoint, I wasn't able to really do what I do what I ultimately wanted to do is really kind of just take over games. Um, I started to emerge uh, probably like my fourth or fifth, my third or fourth, fourth year in San Francisco to become that guy uh, to be considered a game breaker, a game changer, a playmaker. And when I got to the Philadelphia Eagles, I became all of that and I welcomed it. And like I said, people saw the results when I got with a quarterback that obviously, like I said, the prototypical type of quarterback. I adjusted my game pretty much with every quarterback played because I knew the skill set that I possessed and the I, things that that I that I basically learned from being in the West Coast offense uh, my first eight years in San Francisco. I want to play devil's advocate a little bit because when you look at it, when you say if you're just looking at numbers on paper, right. the place that you probably was the most productive in big chunks every year probably came, would you say, in San Francisco? Um, well, yeah, because I played uh, I played eight years there. And so um, in, in, in those eight years that I played, man, I, I, I don't know how many quarterbacks that I played with, but I played with a lot of them. I, mean, I played with Elvis Gerbach, Jeff Brom, uh, Tim Rattay, uh, Steve Young, Jeff Garcia, and there may be a couple of others that I played with. So you just think about really kind of like the adjustment of my game that people really don't factor into, and I guarantee you, the Hall of Fame uh, writers, the voters, or what have you, they didn't factor in none of that uh, into into the equation of inducting me as well. Um, they basically tried to factor in everything else outside of my body of work. And then when I went to uh, when I went to, to to the Eagles, again, I played in 21 games. And the reason I know all these stats because I have so many fans over the last you know years that I haven't played that inbox me. I'm looking at social media. They tell me all of this stuff. So I played. 21 games uh, in, in a Philadelphia uh, Eagles uniform, and I had 20 touchdowns. So that tells you right there what I was doing and what I was capable of. Capable of. And even when I went to Dallas for three years, um, I played, what, uh, three years there, and I had like 38 touchdowns. So that right there in itself speaks, speaks volumes. I didn't need to necessarily, you know, go hoop and holler and jump on the table and be like, okay, these are my stats, Hall of Fame. This is my body of work. What are you trying to question as far as you inducting, inducting me into the Hall of Fame? See, I remember when we talked, I, I came to the induction, the Alabama Sports Hall of Fame, mm -hmm. which they did a wonderful job over there with that. And, you know, and I remember us talking and you were already inducted and you was just like, I was like, T, what's up? What, what you thinking? <laughs> you, you was like, you'll see. I was like, yeah. what do you mean I'm going to see? Like, what's, what's happening? You was like, no, you will see. Like, you can't do me like that. So, and, and we're talking about the Hall of Fame, but, you know, why did you see it so disrespectful? I noticed, and then the thing I want to put out there, just notably, like, you got Jerry Rice when you look at per sheer numbers. Mm -hmm. It's him, and then guess who's next? You. Right. Right. So, when you look at this overall, why did you see it so disrespectful? Because a lot of people still feel like, well, since you were inducted, you still should have came. Mm, well, I, I think when you talk about really what the Pro Football Hall of Fame is made of, um, it's, a, it's, it's five things. It's the mission, 
the values, the vision, the creed and purpose. And so what the, their mission is honor the heroes of the game uh, is to preserve its history, uh, promote its values, so celebrate excellence everywhere. So now let's move to the values, the vision and the creed and the purpose that kind of speaks for itself. It's what really kind of the, the, the Canton, the Hall of Fame embodies. But these two that I that I'm a you know mission and the values and these five words after values is is really kind of what makes up really the, the I guess the, the entirety, the totality of what the Hall of Fame represents. Um, and under those values is commitment, is integrity, courage, respect, and excellence. When you talk about all those things outside of, and you factor that in addition to my body of work, you just mentioned I was number two all time. I was three and four all time in a bunch of categories. And so when you factor in the mission and the values in which the, the Hall of Fame is, is supposed to represent, I checked all those boxes. When you talk about commitment, bro, I made that commitment every offseason to become one of the best receivers to play in the game. Um, when you talk about the greatest of all times, yeah, I just I was just on Brandon Marshall's show, uh, you know, uh, not too long ago, House of Athlete, and he goes ask he's asking me, you know, was I a goat? Did I think I was a goat? <laughs> I mean, if I'm not the if I, if I'm not the in his eyes, if I'm not the goat, then guess Brandon Marshall, I fit the description. I fit the description. So everything that I've done on the football field. It checked those boxes. When you talk about commitment, like I said, I did that every offseason. When you talk about integrity, that speaks for itself. Everybody knows that I'm not going to tell no lie. I'm going to tell you how it is. And I'm gonna, like I said, I'm going to follow through with whatever I say I'm going to follow through with. Um, you talk about courage. I I, I did that a number of times. Played play with numerous injuries. The most notable one is when I played in the Super Bowl with a broken, broken fibula. And I had two screws and a plate in my ankle. When you talk about when you talk about respect, I didn't res I didn't disrespect the game. Everybody thought by me scoring touchdowns and me dancing and me celebrating was right. me disrespecting the game. But now you look at where we are now in 20 2021. Everything that I was vilified and crucified and cr criticized for is now mm -hmm. being embraced in the National Football League. They basically tried to cut touchdown celebrations out. Then they saw that they saw the, the, the dipping and decline in viewership and fans uh, watching the game and supporting a brand of football that breathes entertainment. When you talk about excellence, that's the last one. Excellence, come on, man. That's that, that's 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 who I am. That's the very essence essence of what I did on the football field. I tried to bring a brand of excellence with every organization that I played with. What I. Uh, with who I played with and who I played for. When you talk about um, every stop that I made, everybody looked for me and my production to dip. I only raised my level of play every every stop that I went to, even when there were guys that were 10 years younger than me and they thought I was over the hill, starting with Buffalo Bills. I'm, what, 36, 37, 35, something, somewhere in there. Uh, they had Lee Evans as their number one, uh, their number one guy. Um, I end up outplaying him, uh, factoring in, you know, the idea that that's a bad weather type of city. So I knew that I probably wasn't going to have the numbers, the thousand yards or the 10 plus touchdowns as I did in other places. But at the end of the day, I was confident in my ability to still go in there and be like, OK, cool, I can still produce. But it wasn't until 
Trent Edwards, who was a quarterback at that time, the starting quarterback, it wasn't until he got hurt that Ryan Fitzpatrick, Fitzmagic came in, and I was able to show what I've been always capable of doing. And I end up being the leading receiver in yards. I don't – not maybe second in touchdowns. And then I go to Cincinnati playing with my homeboy, Chad Ochocinco. Ochocinco. Man, he's been there for, what, 10 years? Mm -hmm. I go in there, again, going into free agency – they wanted to – I think they were trying to sign Antonio Bryant at the time. Um, I didn't they, – they, they end up signing him, and then he ended up getting hurt, and then they came back to me, and they brought me on the squad. I go in there, and I was, what, I was 17 yards from a 1,000-yard season. I ended up missing the last two, two games due to a meniscus tear. So And I had like about nine or ten touchdowns. So, again, I go in there, and I prove really my worth and what I could do. So I don't really buy into people saying or trying to say, oh, well, he's old. He can't do this. He can't do that. You don't know. Some people seem to defy the odds, and I was able to do that. And still today, I feel like I can get on the football field and be productive. Right, man. And you know what's crazy, bro? Like, one thing I can appreciate about you about you is you've always stood out in whatever you've done, right? So back to the touchdowns, it was you – Osho Cinco, Steve Smith. You guys were the guys that were celebrating, had all the celebrations on ESPN every week. And then, the Joe, then Joe Horn. Joe Horn. Joe Horn. Joe Horn, Joe Horn yeah. too. Yeah, yeah for sure. In there too. For sure. And then, but on the field, too, I, I always call it the time frame that you played when you all played in the league, the golden era of receivers, because you started when you came into the league. Jerry Rice was the, was the bar. You know what I'm saying? You set the bar. You got Randy Moss. You got Megatron. Uh, Osho towards and Steve Smith, one of my favorite all time receivers, pound for pound. You set the bar. You still stood out, right? You stood out off the field as well with some, you know, things that people may have said was disrespectful or detriment to the game. Do you feel with everything you've done in your career that you have any regrets from your playing days in the NFL? Mm, no, not at all, man. I think, uh, as I said, I mean, a lot of people have, uh, you know, factored in my decision to not go to the Hall of Fame and uh, accept my award. Um, you know, that people feel that I, I, I may regret that. And, and there's a lot of commentators that, you know, even today, they was like, oh, well, he's going to miss it at somewhere when he's 60, 70 years down the road. He's going to miss this opportunity. Uh, just, uh, I guess, the, the whole, I guess, the atmosphere of, of being at the being in Canton, being at the Hall of Fame, being surrounded by, you know, some of the Hall of Famers. You know, some of those same, those those Hall of Famers that they speak of, Half of them, probably half of them didn't like me, don't like me because of hearsay. They don't know me on a personal level. It's been because of uh, how the media has portrayed me throughout the course of my career. And for me, I don't like being around phony people. That's not how I get down. And so, again, when you talk about, you know, one of the things, like I said, uh, that the Hall of Fame represents um, its vision. The other three was vision, creed and purpose. Let's go to let's go to Creed. It says we protect the game by making it safer. We grow the game by promoting its values. We elevate the game by loving those who help build it. Bro, I was one of those guys. I've helped build this game um, to to be one to be Hall of Famer 317. I'm considered one of the greatest to ever play the game. I'm considered one of the the ground guys that the pillars of the guys that are this game up but there will be others. So when it came to my body of work, I felt disrespected in that regard because not only not once, but twice uh, I got snubbed. And so I wasn't going to do it a third time. So uh, it basically showed me kind of like where we are as a society, uh, where we are in this world. When you talk about really 
really giving people their just due, giving people their roses. Um, no matter for me, I knew that I should have been first ballot. Some people are like, oh, well, what does that matter? As long as you're in. Yeah, I mean, psychologically, yeah, it may not matter. But for me, it does because you look at a couple of guys that just got in on their first time. You don't think that I should have been based on my stats, based on what I did for the league? Calvin Johnson and, and, uh, and Randy Moss. Exactly. So when you talk about, I mean, I had Randy Moss on, uh, on my podcast and, you know, uh, he thought that there was something I had against him. Um, as to why I didn't attend. And so we cleared the air with that. But I basically assessed basically kind of, you know, our our two careers. And it wasn't me throwing shade at him or anything like that, but it's well documented. Randy's had issues on and off the field. Um, you know, um, he's been disrespectful to a degree. People have said I was disrespectful to a degree. So when you factor all of that, both of what he's done and what I've done, <clears throat> It pales in comparison. I haven't had any off the field issues. I haven't had any run-ins with the law. If you look at his rap sheet, those are things that he, those are the boxes that he checks. And again, like I said, it's not me throwing shade. I'm just giving the the audience and the and the viewers a, a perspective of how I saw it, where I thought I was being mistreated and I, I was being treated differently. And so again, they didn't go by the body of the work um, that I produced for 15 years. And again, they didn't adhere to the criteria. And and those and those and those uh, those core values in which the, the Hall of Fame uh, possesses and, and embodies. That's it. It's a wrap for part one of the T.O. episode. Check this out. Make sure you stay tuned because he goes into detail about who we like and who we just just really consider snakes. Anyway, you got to make sure you stay tuned for part two because it's going to be lit. Man, make sure you stay subscribed. And if you're not. You better subscribe. Yo, I got to take a moment to talk about our newest sponsor, eBay. Yep. As the original sneaker marketplace, eBay is the place to go to cop the freshest pair of shoes you've been eyeing. With eBay's authenticity guarantee, your sneakers are meticulously inspected by independent professional authenticators. Each sneaker also receives an authenticity guarantee tag that includes a digital stamp of authenticity. And it also protects sellers with a verified return process. Go to ebay.com sneakers today. eBay the world's best destination for discovering great value and a unique hot selection. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube.